the, the dawning of the day star. I've been, uh, and I've really been impacted by the last few weeks and just twisting on these things. It's not that you don't know these things or have some semblance of these things, um, but you, you start twisting on some of these things. And I've really been blessed the last several weeks in the Bible studies in here talking about growing in, in wisdom and the stature of sonship and uh, talking about our origin, our genesis, right? There's a reason why the book of Genesis is called Genesis. And, and just talking about the way that influences us as human beings, even if we don't know. Like, you don't have to believe in God for the fact that you're God's offspring to be influencing how you live and move and have your being, right? And it's really just been a blessing for me. It's, it's like I even felt like a relaxation. You know, it's like if you have high blood pressure, if all of a sudden your blood pressure got healed, you might just feel like this easing on the inside of yourself. That's almost like what I felt inside of myself um, the last few weeks. And we'll, we'll kind of put the icing, the cherry on top of the icing uh, with the message today, talking about the dawning of the day star. Um, so we'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, sending your word, for giving us a more sure word of prophecy, Lord. We thank you that we can behold your word, that we can behold Jesus, and we can find that causing our senses to be exercised, and we can find ourselves just growing in the stature of sonship. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in us, that you're conditioning our senses to become aware, to become awakened to the, the meat that endures unto everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. The, the, and, and what I want to say is there can even be an instability come to your emotions when you just start to understand your genesis. Because if you don't really understand what it means that the bounds of your habitation are God himself, is God himself, and if you don't understand that, you won't understand the effect it could have on you to be dwelling in mortal flesh, right? And so it can even bring stability to your emotions because there's something inside of us that inherently already knows that weakness is not good, <laughs> The feeling of weakness is not good. Like, how many of you think weakness is great? Nobody is like, hallelujah, I feel weak. When people feel pressed in on or they feel anxious, nobody is like, oh, glory to God, where can I find some more anxiety? And, and so it's bad enough if you feel weakness. It's bad enough if you can feel a, a pressing in. But if you don't understand that the God himself is the bounds of your habitation and that you live and move and have your being in him, but you're also clothed in a mortal body. If you don't understand all that and you don't understand the effect that can have on you, when you feel weakness, the tempter will be there trying to convince you that the weakness is a sign there's something wrong with you. That there's something amiss. The, the tempter will be there to convince you the anxiety you feel, the pressing in that you feel, the confusion that can try to come upon you is a sign that something's amiss. And so now it's not even just that you're feeling weakness and anxiety and you don't like it, but now you're now thinking something's wrong with me because I feel this. 
And so now a judgment has come in about your person that I am not as I ought to be because I feel this. But when you start to understand your genesis, that God is set apart unto life, and because you're God's offspring, that means your heart is set apart unto wanting life. When you start to understand that, and you start to understand the great contradiction that comes because you're clothed in a body that's dying. You're clothed in a body that, that is mortal. But all the while, you're set apart unto wanting an immortal life. Well, now all of a sudden, you can, it can start to make sense that you can feel weak. Oh, okay, it's not a sign something's wrong with me that I feel weak. It's not a sign something's wrong with me that I can feel pressed in on. It's not a sign that something's wrong with me when I feel upset or when I feel confused. All that it means is that this mortal body I have, listen, that body is longing to put on immortality. And so it possesses the ability to feel weakness. It possesses the ability to feel anxiety. It possesses the ability to feel confusion pressed in on me. And actually, that makes me normal. It's a normal reaction for a mortal body to feel weak. You get that? It's a normal reaction that a mortal body could feel pressed in on or anxiety. Okay, so now it's not that there's something wrong with me. And now it's not, well, what kind of a Christian am I that I feel weak? It's not, what kind of a, am I an unbelief now? No, it's that, oh, I'm yearning for the likeness of the Father's immortality to be manifested in my body. Okay? All right. Now that makes total sense that I could feel this way. I mean, we're the same as Jesus in the sense of what we felt. The only thing is Jesus didn't make the negative judgment that there was something wrong with him because he felt it. He understood exactly what was going on, right? And so just just talking about all this has has really blessed me, and it can bring stability to your emotions. It can bring stability to your whole life um, for your, your eyes to be popped open. And so, you know, the last however many weeks, Um, we've been talking about growing up into the Lord, coming into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God, right? And the way you come into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God is you would behold Him manifesting in the fullness of the stature of God. And in you seeing it happen in Him, the faith that brought it forth in Him starts calling it forth in you. It starts giving you shape and form. It starts creating in you the life of the Son of God. The world would call it spiritual maturity. And I say the world, more like religion. you got to be spiritually mature. But then we define spiritual maturity by how many times did you come to church? How much money are you giving? How much service do you perform? Which none of that has anything to do with spiritually mature people. I mean, the Pharisees did more of that than anyone. I mean, if they got some perfume that week, they siphoned off 10% and gave that 10%. I promise you, they weren't spiritually mature at all. I mean, Jesus come and said, you're of your father, the devil. And they were doing all the external things that looked right. So growing in the stature of sonship, growing in the wisdom and stature of sonship, it's maturing, but not maturing or maturation in the sense of just getting older. What growing in the stature of sonship is, is talking about maturing in your experiencing of eternal life. That's what it's talking about. You're growing in your intimacy with eternal life because to be a son means to have come forth from the eternal one. And so to grow in the stature of sonship would be to grow up into or grow in your intimacy with eternal life. 
And just because we've lived with, with so much language of separation and distance, don't confuse what I'm saying about growing or maturing in intimacy with eternal life. Don't confuse that with me saying that we're going to become more of a son or get more faith. You, you don't become more of a son. You don't become more of a daughter. You don't, you don't get more faith. It's not that you become more one with eternal life. It's not that you get closer to God. We're as close to God as you can get. I mean, how much closer can you be than to be one flesh with God through the body of the Lord Jesus? I mean, you're the body of God. You're God's own body. I mean, you actually give shape and form to God so God could be seen. In fact, the reason why God made us in His image so that we could be bearers of His likeness so that God could be portrayed and seen by all of creation. That's why all of creation is groaning and travail, desiring to see the manifestations of the Son of God. Because in seeing the sons of God, they'll see the body of God Himself. <laughs> and then they can touch Him and handle Him. Right? Yes, I am crazy. So it's not that you become closer to God. It's that you grow in the experiential knowing of eternal life in the here and now. The experiential knowledge. There's a reason why it puts experiential before knowledge. Because it ain't just talking about intellectual knowing. What it's talking about is something you've experienced. And so we grow in the experiential knowing of eternal life in the here, here and now. Your senses are exercised, growing in the stature of sonship. Your senses are exercised. They become awakened to what they're groaning for. They become awakened to what they're yearning for. They are awakened to the thirst they feel. Why do they feel thirsty? What are they thirsting for? They move from milk to strong meat. They move on to perfection. You're no longer confused about your desires or how your desires can be satisfied. Most people live their whole lives completely confused about what it is they're even desiring. And if you don't even know what it is you're desiring, how are you ever going to find your desires satisfied? And the Lord Jesus come into the earth not just to tell us what it is we're desiring, but to show us the way to find our desires satisfied. Right? So you're no longer confused about your desires or how they can be satisfied. You become single-eyed. Your, your eye becomes single, seeing the substance of all your dreams come true in the body of Jesus Christ. Right? And so now, as, you, as all that is happening inside of you, you're growing in the stature of sonship. You're maturing in your experiential knowing of eternal life here and now. And like I've been saying a lot, because it does something for my senses, Right? What I'm talking about now, it's like you're handling and touching and seeing the Lord's body, right? Like John would say, that which was from the beginning, which we have handled, which we have touched, which we have seen of the word of life. You notice all those things he mentioned are connected to the senses, right? And his, he, in a different kind of a way, he's talking about his senses having been exercised to discern, right? What he's always been desiring. And that's why he would get into what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that he come and give us the thing we've been desiring all along in his son Jesus. And through us touching and handling and seeing the word of life, the thing we've always been desiring, the substance of all our dreams come true in Jesus. Through us handling that word of life, we've actually been caught up in this deep intimacy and fellowship with the Father. Right? Right? 
handling the Lord's body. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We, we say spiritual truth, but spiritual truth doesn't mean absent. The senses are touching or physicality. And so whether we know it or not, whether the world knows it or not, whether everyone knows it or not, we're all trying to attain to the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. And that's why weakness would torment us because we would think weakness is a sign that we're not attaining to the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. The whole world is trying to attain to that. You know both Cain and Abel wanted to attain to the fullness of the stature of the Son of God? You got one who's wicked and you got one who's righteous. But they were both trying to attain to the same thing. They both had the same desire. That's why God would even come and say to Cain, listen, man, will you not also be exalted if you come and offer a lamb? There's a lamb crouching outside the door. I, I provided the lamb. Abraham is not the first one who said God would provide himself a lamb. Cain and Abel shows God providing a lamb. Will you not also be exalted like you're desiring? Go and offer the lamb. Grab a hold of the lamb. So they both were desiring the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. And so everybody wants that. The desire of every heart is to see God in their flesh. To see God here. That's why people don't like it when they go bald. That's why people don't like it when they see wrinkles. That's why people don't like it when they develop a tire. That's why people don't like it when their muscles don't work. That's why you don't like it when you feel injured or you get hurt because your desire, the desire in your heart is to see God in your flesh. Everybody wants that. We all want to touch and handle and see eternal life. Everyone wants to see God manifested in their lives and in the earth. All people want to have their lives decorated with the glory of God. Everyone. That's what you want. That's what everybody's after. That's what everybody's trying to attain to. That's the bounds of our habitation because we're God's offspring. Because we're his offspring, there's a deep longing in us to be decorated in his glory. And then the way we see it is in, in, in finding ourselves having been decorated in his glory, do you know what that would convince us of? That we're accepted in the beloved. That's why when... In Christianity, if you don't see the fruit of God's life, it was real easy for well-intentioned people that are deeply confused to convince us that the bad fruit was a sign we're not accepted by God. That's why it can get so twisted. That's why the exercising of the senses are so important. You, you end up like Jesus where the devil doesn't have anything in you because you are intimate with yourself in what it means to be the offspring of God or God's offspring. So we're all trying to seek the same thing. It's just that some people tr are trying to attain to godliness through created things. And that's what it means about life and godliness. Godliness isn't just pointing to, well, you, you'll do the right things. That's actually the fruit of godliness, if you even want to use that language. Godliness would just be to see the treasure that is God himself inside of you. That's what godliness would mean. They're seeking to see God manifested in their life and in the earth through the world and created things. So they're still seeking to see God manifested, but they're seeking it through the creature, as Paul would come and say. They worship the creature instead of the creator, right? But they're looking for the same thing. So 
That was the, the brief recap. The, <laughs> the power to grow in the stature of sonship. Because what's the power to, to do this? Because we're going to focus on the exercising of the senses. Because that's what causes the dawning of the day star. As your senses become awakened, right? To, to image and likeness. <laughs> your senses first become awakened to what it means that you're the image. And then they become awakened to what it means to be the bearer of God's likeness. And you start to understand how that stuff happens. And you start to understand yourself. So the power to grow in the stature of sonship, the way we mature in our experiential knowing of eternal life is through our senses being exercised. That's how you grow in the wisdom and stature of sonship. Your senses are exercised, right? And it's not like the kind of exercise you do here, although there, there could be a, a, a correlation or an analogy. It's not that you go and exercise yourself. It's that the preaching of the gospel exercises your senses. Should someone be preaching it as it is, that will exercise your senses. That's why we put an emphasis on sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because should someone be preaching the word that was made flesh in Jesus, that will exercise everyone's senses. That will cause people to grow into the Lord or grow up into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God, where their experiential knowing of eternal life is growing. It's the exercising of the senses. We're going to try to get into that in detail. And you're thinking, well, where's the exercising of the senses? Does this guy just make it up as he goes along? Yes. <laughs> I know it surprises some people, but I think about these things deeply. Um, but there is a verse, actually. <laughs> There's many verses, but we'll focus on this verse. <laughs> Hebrews chapter. You know, no one, no one here is forced to listen to me. You guys understand that, right? <laughs> Okay, I just want to make sure we have this understanding. I think some people get confused about what submission is, right? We're all submitted unto one another. And you know what that submission is? Ain't none of you got to come here to listen to me. Every single one of you can look at me and say, I don't see God. I don't hear God. I don't see the fruit of God's life. That's why Paul would come and say, do we need letters of commendation? He said, you are our letters. Living epistles, the transformation of your lives is the evidence of what I'm saying, right? And that's what real submission looks like. It don't look like coming and submitting to this person, coming to sit to that person. Jesus said you'll know them by their love. He talked about the false prophets and the trees bearing fruit. You can always tell. That's why as a minister, don't be shocked if people judge you, right? And I tell people all the time, feel free to judge me. And I don't mean like condemn me, but feel free to examine my life to see if you think you see the fruit of God's life. If you don't, don't listen to me. Right? And that's how you submit unto one another. I'm submitted unto you all because of that judgment. And you guys would submit under me to me if you think that tree is bearing good fruit. And that's how we would submit unto one another. Right? And that's how it's actually supposed to work. That's how it goes down. Right? Jesus didn't come with a letter from God, from the Father, and say, look, this is how you know. He came full of God. Would it, I mean, when, when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, and everybody left, and the twelve stayed. Why did they stay? Because Jesus had a letter that he was submitted unto the, the Sadducees, the religious system? No. What did they say? Where will we go? You have the words of life. So do you see the testimony was that this dude was speaking the words of life. 
And so they submitted themselves to his doctrine, right? That's how you weigh these things. But Hebrews 5, verse 14, the exercising of the senses. But strong meat belongs to them who are of full age. You see the maturity, the growing in wisdom and stature? But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. And then it describes what full age would look like or how it happens. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's talking about growing in the wisdom and stature of sonship. He's talking about how it goes down, right? You know, like when you're a baby, like the milk isn't going to give you everything that you need. At some point, you have to shift to solid food in order to grow. And so what he's talking about is the maturity comes as a person starts eating the strong meat. But you can't eat the strong meat till your senses are exercised to discern what is the strong meat and what isn't the strong meat. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you come of full age or you gain the strength that comes from the Father of lights above. You grow in the stature of sonship as you start feeding on the strong meat. But your senses have to be discerned, exercised to be able to discern what is the strong meat and what isn't the strong meat. Do you see what I'm saying? Because, listen, not all steak is created equal. I mean, nothing against like Applebee's, but if you go to Applebee's and get a steak, it's not the same kind of steak you're going to get at Ruth Chris's. And listen, all of our senses have been exercised to know that, haven't they? All of us know the steak at Ruth Chris's, that's much better than at Applebee's. Like, ain't nobody, our senses have been exercised to discern that if you can understand what I'm saying. So what is the strong meat? What is the strong meat? People think the strong meat is now we're going to come in and talk about the Nephilim. That's not the strong meat. People think, oh, the strong meat is we're going to come in and we're going to talk about, you know, the, the end of the world and how Revelation is talking about the Soviet Union and Turkey and, and all these different kinds of things. That's the strong meat. When are we going to get to the meat, brother? We've been on the milk for so long. That's not the strong meat. And so you might be thinking, well, what is the strong meat? Well, guess what? The scriptures will tell you what the strong meat is. Jesus, Jesus, can we say Jesus is the only rabbi? Jesus is the only rabbi. I don't care who else you think you know or who else you think you're talking to. I don't care how insightful they are. We'll just use me for an example. Let's say you think I'm extremely insightful. I'm a scribe. There's one rabbi. It's the Lord Jesus. The rest of us are scribes. And anything we say that's good or right has been copied from him. And so Jesus says, in John chapter 6, verse 27, listen to what he says. Labor not for the meat that perishes. See the word meat? Labor not for the meat that perishes, but labor for the meat that endures unto everlasting life. Okay, so he's drawing a distinction between strong meat and meat that isn't strong. So strong meat would be the meat that endures unto eternal life. Everything else would be the meat that perishes. It means it doesn't endure unto the likeness of the Father being made manifest in your flesh and in the earth. Okay? So, when we talk about our senses being exercised, they're exercised so we can, in, so we can discern the meat that endures unto everlasting life. Because I promise you, we're a people that want meat. <laughs> you see the Israelites crying out for what? 
meat. We're a people that want meat. And so we're like on the hunt for meat. There's a lot of hunting in Louisiana. It's the sportsman's paradise. We go hunting for, for hogs, for pigs, for deer. I mean, we go hunting for even Nutri-Rat. We'll even make some Nutri-Rat burgers. We, don't, we just want some meat. We don't care. We'll get some frogs, right? I mean, we will get whatever it is here. I mean, our dear friend Batterthy comes here, and we're having a crawfish boil, and he's like, brother, those things are from the devil. You see, you see his, he's looking at those things. They're, they're, they're bottom dwellers. They're unclean. And so his senses were telling him, that's not the strong meat. That meat is not enduring unto life everlasting. And so you see, there was something in him that said, rather let me go for the prongs. <laughs> Do you see how that whole thing was working inside of him? And so our senses are exercised to discern the meat that endures unto everlasting light and to it, it discern the meat that is not enduring to everlasting life. Mean, meaning that it, it's perishing. And we even have that, I mean, I just described with Bertie a funny example. But we have that thing in us. When you go to the store and you buy meat, aren't your senses kind of exercised? I mean, can't you see if the meat is like bad? Don't you smell it if it's rancid? Okay, well, if you see that it's bad or you smell it and it's rancid, do you buy it anyway and eat it? Why not? Because your senses have discerned that it's decaying. It's perishing. So why am I going to buy that and eat it? I'm not going to because my senses are telling me something's wrong with that. That is full of decay. And so the, the exercising of our senses, our senses are exercising no difference between meat that is good and meat that is rancid. And spiritually speaking, it's not talking about physical meat. What it's talking about is our, our senses being exercised to discern the meat that is perishing from the meat that endures unto life everlasting. And you see this very thing in Jesus in the wilderness when he was being tempted. His senses were exercised. Right? Well, the, the tempter comes, sees that his senses are hungering. I hunger. So his body is hungering for something, and the tempter comes and tries to work with his senses, tries to point his senses to the stones, and tells him, turn those stones into bread and feed yourself. Well, Jesus' senses were exercised. Do you know what he said inside of himself? Even should I turn these stones into bread, that might keep me alive for one more day. But turning these stones into bread, this bread is not the meat that endures unto life everlasting. You see? And so he didn't do it. Because he determined that if I turn these stones into bread, that is perishing still. That can't preserve my life eternally. That's not the everlasting that my body is hungering for, actually. And so he didn't do it. He didn't do it because there was some law that said, thou shalt not turn the stones into bread. He recognized, if I do that, seeking to satisfy the hunger I feel in my body, that will actually give birth to the maggots or the rancidness of the perishing meat inside of me. So he understood that. So when it talks about the strong meat, it's, it talks about moving on from milk. And in the context of Hebrews, it's talking about moving on to perfection. The perfection is the substance of what you see in the glorified man, Jesus. That's the perfection. Moving on to that. The milk was supposed to be the law and the prophets. 
in the law and the prophets was supposed to exercise their senses so they could determine the meat that endures unto everlasting life and they could discern the meat that perishes. And they could see that their works to try to satisfy their senses, their own hunger and their own thirst, they could come to the place where they would see those were dead works. That's why the author of Hebrews will come and say, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. You guys should already be feeding on the everlasting life or the perfection that's manifested in the body of the Lord Jesus. And you guys are still in need of milk because your senses still haven't been exercised to determine which meat is perishing and which meat is enduring. And so you're in need of milk all over again, he says. And so when babies are born, what do they need? Do they, do they come right out eating steak? You ever try feeding a baby steak? None of us would do that, would we? What would we think about someone doing that? There's something wrong on the inside. So when babies are born, they need milk before they can digest solid food. The milk exercises their digestion until they're strong enough to be able to handle solid food. In the same way, we can't partake or eat the strong meat until our senses are exercised to discern the meat that endures unto eternal life. The milk is what teaches us the meat that endures and the meat that doesn't endure. And once we see that clearly, now we start eating the strong meat, right? Now we start growing in the stature of sonship because we're eating the nutrients of the Father's life. Right? We're partaking of the table he prepared. We're partaking of the lamb that he laid out on the table. Which lamb is his word? Which lamb is his life? Which lamb is his body? It's God offering you himself his body so that there could be meat in the house, that you could feed on this strong meat, and this strong meat would cause you to grow in intimacy with eternal life. Not in the sweet by and by, right here, right now, and for all eternity. Eternal life is always now. There's no future and past with eternal life. Which reminds me of that, that video. We got to watch that in the morning. We got to watch that in the morning. <laughs> so just as a baby needs to be conditioned to be able to eat solid food, our senses must be conditioned to partake of strong meat. They have to be conditioned to perceive what they're yearning for. Because if you don't know what you're yearning for, how do you know where to eat? You ever find yourself in the place, well, I don't know what I'm craving. I don't know what I'm hungry for. That happens every time we try to figure out where to go eat. What do you feel like? I don't know. And so our senses need to be conditioned to even perceive what it is we're yearning for. Once they become conditioned to perceive what it is we're yearning for, what happens is we start partaking of the strong meat. Right? You have to have your senses exercised to know what the strong meat is, but also what marketplace that you can find the strong meat at. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to disparage any grocery chain. So please allow me the poverty of this example. Right? But if you're thinking about buying meat, right, I'm, much, I'm thinking much better about buying meat from like Whole Foods or from like a farmer's market, from a person that has like raised the, the, the cattle themselves, then I am thinking about buying it from Walmart. You see what I'm saying? 
So there's a certain marketplace where you find the strong meat and you have to have your senses exercised to understand that. You can't find strong meat in Babylon. You can't purchase strong meat from Babylon. You can't find meat in Babylon. You can't find the meat that endures unto everlasting life in Babylon. You can only find the meat that perishes in Babylon. So this whole idea of a marketplace is deeply rooted in the Scriptures. Isaiah 55 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he that has no money, come, buy, and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken, unto, hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Jesus said, buy of me gold. And in Revelation, he's drawing a contrast between the marketplace where he has gold and the, the Babylonian marketplace that is also peddling gold and silver. But the gold and silver in Babylon, that gold and silver does not endure. But the gold Jesus is selling, he says, buy of me gold, that your eye be anointed with eye salve, and you don't behold your nakedness, but rather when you see your flesh, you see God in your flesh. Like Job said, this one thing I know, my Redeemer is alive, and I will see God in my flesh. Buy of me gold so that you can see God in your flesh. That's the strong meat Jesus is talking about. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, and this is, these are all famous verses for us, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, he says. And I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but for those of you that like to study the scriptures, what Paul says there, I don't know if you guys realize this, because I didn't, and the Lord keeps awakening me to this. You know the apostles, they unwrapped everything that was revealed in Jesus when he walked the earth. Like they come and put doctrine to things that happened in Jesus, right? So we see Jesus in Gethsemane. We see Jesus sweating blood. And there's a whole lot of conclusions you can make about that. And you're free to, to weigh that and think about it and read about it and all of that. But the Apostle Paul, he gives a great depiction of what was going on there when he says the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. That's why Jesus said the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's the same kind of thing he was talking about. So if you, if you like to study Gethsemane, go read Galatians 5 and, and, and look back at that with, with Jesus and see what was going on there. But when it talks about the, the spirit lusting against the flesh or warring against the flesh, what it means is that the spirit conditions our flesh unto rest. That's what it's talking about. There's a conditioning, like you condition yourself to run or to work out. It's the exercising of the senses all over. The Spirit conditions our flesh unto rest, and the way it conditions our flesh unto rest is by showing us the substance of our every desire, the substance of everything our senses are ever longing for. It shows us the substance of all those things, the substance that can satisfy us in the body of the glorified Jesus. That's how the Spirit conditions our flesh unto rest. It doesn't come and tell us it's bad to desire. 
It doesn't come and tell us you're evil for thirsting or hungering. It understands the, the yearnings of a mortal body. But what the Spirit does is conditions the flesh unto rest by showing the flesh what it's longing for, the substance of everything it's hungering for in the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Right? And so the Spirit conditions our flesh to be dead to the world. Not dead to the world in the sense where you isolate yourself from the world. Because the carnal mind can read, we're dead to the world and the world to us. And then we think, well, i got to remove myself from the world. And so not dead to the world in the sense that you're isolated from the world or that you don't enjoy the things of the world. Dead to the world mean, doesn't mean that you can't go to a concert. Doesn't mean you can't go to a sporting event. Doesn't mean you got to be separated from the world in the way we've described it. But to be conditioned to be dead to the world is talking about being able to perceive that the beauty you're longing for isn't contained in created things. You see? So there is a gold I'm craving. But guess what? The gold in this earth is created. And so that's not the gold I'm longing for. And so the Spirit has conditioned me to be dead to the idea that the gold that's created can satisfy me. So now I'm not seeking gold in the earth. The Spirit has conditioned me to see the gold that I'm actually hungering for is the glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in seeing that, my senses are exercised and I'm feeding on that, right? I'm looking to that to be satisfied. I'm looking to that to have my thirst quenched. I'm looking to that when my body yearns. I'm looking to that when my body feels weak. Just like we look to food when we feel weak, I'm looking to that when I feel pressed in on by weakness, by fear, by anxiety. When I feel pressed in on by lack, I'm looking to the Lord Jesus. That's the gold. That's the strong meat that can give me the nutrients I need. So now when I feel like I need something, when I feel like I'm lacking some good thing, when the world is collapsing around me or everything around me is going wrong, immediately my senses discern the nutrients that I need are found in the body of the Lord Jesus. Right? And so I don't go about in the Babylonian marketplace trying to gain created things or the things in the world to satisfy myself. You see that? Does that make sense? And so if we wanted to put a concise description to the exercising of the senses, what, what happens is you first feel the groaning within yourself. Has anybody ever felt the groaning? You ever felt hungry? Okay. You ever felt lack? Okay. What happens is you feel the groaning within yourself. You can feel like a sense of longing for something. You ever longed for something? So you, you feel this groaning, you feel a sense of longing for something, something that can make you whole, something that can complete you, something that will make everything just right. We, you have that groaning inside of yourself, like a hunger or a thirst for something, right? The exercising of your senses is that you're no longer like, I don't know exactly what it is I'm hungering for. I don't know where it's found, so let me try this person. Let me try this job. Let me try this treasure. Let me try this vacation. Let me you're, you're no longer confused about what the groaning is. Your senses have been exercised to be able to discern the beauty you're groaning for and where it can be found. You see? You understand what you feel, why you feel it, and what will satisfy what you're feeling. It's discernment that comes upon you where you're able to discern that you're longing to touch and to handle and to see the word of life. It's to be awakened to the likeness of the Father. 
you begin to discern that groaning you feel is a burning in your heart to see the Father and His life manifested in your body and in the earth. You're, you're seeing it real clearly now, right? And what happens is, is when you start to see all that, that's when the day begins to dawn. And the day star arises in your heart. Which when Peter said that, he was referencing the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus shone with the glory of the Father inside of his body right there. That'll preach. And what did, what did, what did the voice from heaven, which is the Father of lights now talking, what did he say? Hear ye him. But he didn't say anything. He just shone with the glory of the Father. He was exercising their senses. The thirst you feel, the hunger you feel, this is what it's for. Oh, now I see what I'm after. That starts to tame the passions in your flesh. It starts to put your flesh to rest because your flesh isn't all over the place trying to satisfy itself. It, it finds satisfaction in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the substance of what you're longing for in the glorified Jesus. And you see the Father has given you His likeness as a gift in Him. And now, you're no longer thinking of what restaurant do I want to go to? What do I feel like today? Because you see the Father prepared a table for you. And you see the table He prepared for you is full of strong meat. Because it's His own body. And his own body is filled with the immortality, the eternal life that you're longing for. His body is the meat that endures. And so now, every time you feel a hunger or a thirst, you're not thinking, well, is it McDonald's today? Is it Rally's? Do I want Texas Roadhouse? Do I want Phil's? You're not thinking anything like that. You're thinking the Father has prepared a table. And now you're coming there. And you're buying of the Father strong meat. And oh, by the way, when Jesus says, buy of me gold, Isaiah interprets that, that you don't need any money to buy it. <laughs> you just come and have it for free, it says. Freely, the Father gives. Because it's His good pleasure to empty Himself for you. That's what He always wanted. You see all that? Now listen, we could see all those things in Jesus on the cross. Everything we just described, you can see in Jesus on the cross. You can see the exercising of the senses. You can see the fullness of the stature of sonship in Jesus on the cross. You, last week we covered, was that last week? The weeks run together. Last week I talked about Proverbs 6. You could see Proverbs 6 made flesh in Jesus on the cross. And I tell you this, I don't know if you guys realize this. I apologize for it all the time. Um, somebody told me um, once that I apologize for myself too much. Well, the world conditioned me to have to do that because I'm very upsetting. You know, Linda, what's that coffee cup you have? I make everything uncomfortable for everyone. <laughs> I say this a lot, but you guys notice how I bring everything back to Jesus? You notice how everything I say, I come and then reveal it inside of him? That's how you weigh doctrine, right? And if you're listening to other people weigh doctrine, that's one of the qualities you want to see there, that they're weighing doctrine that way, right? That's a good indication of whether or not they think Jesus is rabbi or whether they think they're rabbi, right? I don't ever say what I think 
without showing it in Jesus. That's how you can reason together. Because if you're reasoning about what you believe and the other person is reasoning about what they believe, you're not having a meeting or agreement of terms. No, no, no. If we're going to reason together, we're going to reason from the body of the Lord Jesus. And now you show me what you're saying there and I'll show you what I'm saying there and you can tell me which part you don't see there and I'll tell you which part I don't see there. And now we're reasoning from the same place. You see, most people, when they're reasoning, they're not reasoning from the same place. And then you have a bunch of unfruitless conversations, right? Because you're just talking past each other. And so I, I, I say it all the time. We're going to bring it back to Jesus, as is our custom, because it really brings out the spirit and the richness of the scriptures when you see them come alive in Jesus. And that's what's supposed to happen, right? The scriptures come alive in Jesus. Jesus makes the scriptures come alive. And with, without Jesus revealing the spirit in the scriptures, what I even want to say about the scriptures, which are precious and beautiful to me, what I even want to say about the scriptures, without Jesus making the spirit that's in there come alive, they're nothing more than dead letters, which is why we see so many people using them unlawfully. And so you need Jesus to make the scriptures alive. Jesus is the word made flesh. So whatever you read in Proverbs, it was made flesh in Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. You start asking yourself, well, where do I see that in Jesus? Now you can start seeing a depth and a richness to the verses. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are contained in Jesus. All of them. All of them. It's like in, in class. Do you have something you want to say? If it's so important, you ever had, man, teachers told me that all the time because I was one of these clowns in class, always acting up, passing notes. Oh, it must be very important. Bring it up here. Let's read it in front of the class. <laughs> all our thoughts about God and the scriptures are meant to be shaped by the word made flesh in Jesus. They are. And that's how you, you, you're not left to your own vain imaginations, Right? So we'll look at Proverbs 6, and we'll re reveal Jesus there. And we'll finish with that, because I've carried on a bit. Um, but we'll look at Proverbs 6, beginning with verse 20, like we did last week. My son! Sounds like Jesus, the eternal son. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not the law of your mother. Let them be bound continually upon your heart and tied about your neck. When you go... It will lead you. When you sleep, it will keep you. And when you awake, it will talk with you. You notice how it says all those things will do something to you? you notice how it doesn't say you will keep it, it says they will keep you? You don't keep it, it keeps you. Thank the good Lord. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is. Light. Who is it that said they're light? Jesus said he's light. Didn't John say that Jesus is the light that entered into the earth? The law is light. The commandment is a lamp. Do you see what that's saying to you? The commandment was revealed in Jesus. The Father's commandment was made flesh in Jesus. And the law of the mother was made flesh in Jesus. Because he's the light. He's the lamp, 
right? So if you want to see those things, if you want those things to talk to you when you awake, if you want them to keep you while you sleep, if you want them to be bound around your neck and tied there continually, you want to like see what they are. Because that how it, that's how it happens, by you beholding them. That's what it means to be an image bearer. By being an image bearer, you behold something, and in you beholding it and esteeming it, it becomes born inside of you. That's how it works, right? So the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. Neither let her take you with her eyelids. I'm, I'm kind of a silly fool, you know? You know, like the... You know how she bats her eyelashes at you? Mm-hmm. I think there was a cartoon where they, they would really bat their eyelashes. Don't be taken with that. I said this last week, but guys, the strange woman, the evil woman, is not talking about a real woman. It's using the picture of a woman because we're in a physical body. And it's trying to use that as an analogy to express something to us. But it's not talking about a physical woman. It's using a physical woman to talk about appealing to the senses. Okay? So, we, we, just to recap what we said about what those verses mean, the Father's commandment is life everlasting. Do you know who said that? Jesus. It's in the Gospel of John. The Father's commandment is life everlasting. It's a lamp. And so you might say, how is the Father's commandment life everlasting? How is that a lamp? Okay, well, it's a lamp because it shines a light on the desires of your heart. Now all of a sudden you're not wondering what you're desiring. You see, I'm desiring life everlasting. When I hunger, when I thirst, when I feel lack, when I feel anxiety, when I feel pressed upon, I'm desiring to see life everlasting manifest in me. Okay, so that's how it's lame. Now I know what it is I'm seeking, at least. You ever try to find something you don't know what it is that you're seeking? Do you find it? No. You don't find it. Seek and you shall find. Right? Well, you have to first know what you're seeking. The law of your mother is the law of the spirit of life. It's the spirit of truth. It's the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing for you? It's discerning the Father in your midst. It's exercising your senses to discern the likeness of the Father. Teaching and instructing you that the only way to attain to God in your flesh, the only way to touch and to handle and to see God, which is the thing you're desiring, is to look to the Father to manifest Himself in you. That's the only way. And already some of you are connecting the dots about how you could see Proverbs 6 in Jesus on the cross. Because you see Jesus doing that. And so if you look at Jesus on the cross, when he's on the cross, his senses were exercised. That's how you see the fullness of the stature of the Son of God, which is what you see on the cross. The fullness of the stature of the Son of God. And then you see a mature Son right there on the cross. And then you see the likeness manifest in the mature Son. And so his senses were exercised on the cross. Like Proverbs 6 says, he wore the commandment of the father he wore the father's commandment and the law of his mother around his neck they were a lamp and a light to him when he was in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death they kept him from the evil woman the strange woman the evil woman guess what oh yeah 
She was there at the cross, flattering with her smooth tongue, batting her eyelashes at him. And so the father's commandment, the law of his mother, the spirit of truth, the comforter was hanging around his neck. They kept him from the evil woman. They kept him from the flattery of the tongue. He didn't confuse the beauty that he saw in the world with the beauty his senses were longing for. You see, because the father's commandment was around his neck. My senses thirst. I thirst. Well, immediately the Father's commandment would say, well, you're thirsting to see the likeness of the Father manifested in your body. Oh, okay, then that sponge they're about to give me isn't going to satisfy my thirst. I'll spit it out. That sponge might look beautiful to you and me when we're in pain. What's the first thing we do? Does somebody have a pain pill? And I'm not trying to make anybody feel ashamed if you take a pain pill. I'm just using it as an example. It looks good for food, doesn't it? If you're hurting, where's the hydrocodone? This pain is from the devil. I mean, isn't it? Isn't that how we feel? I got to get rid of this pain. And so that looks good for food. Do you see how that appeals to your senses? That's the strange woman. That's the evil woman appealing to what your senses are hungering for, seeing that you're groaning for something, seeing that you're groaning for comfort. But the father's commandment was around Jesus' neck. Yes, his body was groaning for comfort, but then he saw the comfort he's groaning for can only be found in the Father's likeness. It can only be found in the Father himself. So when they gave him what looked beautiful in the eyes of the world, didn't look beautiful to him. Do you know what it looked like? Rancid meat. It looked like meat that perishes and doesn't endure unto life everlasting in my body. So even should I take that sponge, maybe my senses will be dulled for a moment, but it won't produce the Father's likeness in my flesh, which is what I'm longing for right now. You see how it's all working inside of him? And what I want to say is the cross is the height of sensuality. And I don't mean sexuality. It's the height of sensuality. You see all of Jesus' senses heightened on the cross. You see all of them animated. And sensual simply means of the senses. It means sight, smell, sound, taste, and touch. And so on the cross, Jesus' sentences were heightened because they were all simultaneously crying out and groaning. Strange woman was there, flattering with her words whispering with her smooth tongue, talking to him, telling Jesus, just come down off the cross. That's what you're yearning for. That's what your senses are crying out for. They're crying to be preserved from this body of death. It's real simple. Just come down off the cross. Save yourself. That will satisfy the groaning you feel. That will satisfy what you're desiring. She was trying to get Jesus to labor for the meat that perishes. You see? But he smelled the meat. His senses were exercised. He's like, that meat you're telling me that I should eat, that stuff comes from Walmart. That is not like Kobe beef. You see what I'm saying? And so, I'm not trying to get my meat from Walmart. You heard me? Notice that the Proverbs talks about the strange woman as the evil woman. Well, Hebrews 5.14 says the full son, the mature son, has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Evil meaning the meat that perishes. Good meaning the meat that doesn't perish. And so Jesus discerned all that at the cross. You're offering me the meat that perishes. That can't satisfy this hunger. Proverbs 6 says, The Father's commandment and your mother's law will keep you. They will lead you. They will keep you when you sleep. They will keep you when you are awake. They will talk with you. Okay, so there's Jesus on the cross. Sensory overload. Groaning and travail. Yearning. You, there's no greater yearning than what my man was yearning for and longing for on that cross. Like you're talking about your, your cheek sticking to the side of your mouth because it's so dry. I mean, you, you're talking about just the height of your, your hungering and thirsting. He's groaning in travail, and the Father's commandment kept him. It discerned the groaning in his senses. It exercised his senses to discern the likeness of the Father, the Father's likeness. It exercised his senses to discern the longing that he felt, the groaning that he felt that that was him longing to touch and to handle and to see God in his flesh. That's what he began thinking about on the cross. He saw his flesh hungered and thirsted after the Father's likeness. That's what this hungering and thirsting is. Then the law of his mother comes in and starts talking to him. And you might think, well, what do you mean the law of his mother? How does the Holy Spirit start talking to him? Well, where do you think Paul got that the Spirit will intercede in our hearts with groanings that can't be uttered? Do you think Paul made that up out of the blue? Do you think Paul decided that sounds real good? Do you know where Paul got that from? The Lord Jesus on the cross. He's unwrapping what he saw in Jesus. When Paul would come and say that he supposes that the sufferings of this present world are nothing in comparison to the glory of God, where do you think he got his doctrine? He got it from beholding Jesus when it pleased the Father to reveal his Son to me. That's where he got all of that. So there's Jesus on the cross. His senses are groaning. He's discerning, oh my, I'm hungering and thirsting after the Father's likeness. Now here comes the law of his mother talking to him while he's on the cross. The Holy Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart with groanings that couldn't be uttered, teaching and instructing him that the only way to attain to God in his flesh is to look to the Father to bring it forth. That's what will satisfy this hunger and this thirst. <laughs> the law of the Spirit of life. It exercised his senses to discern the voice of the strange woman, right? He saw the food she offered was evil. He saw that it, it's perishing, that it's full of decay. He saw it that it wouldn't endure. And that's when the fullness of the stature of sonship manifested in Jesus. Because you see him right there cry out, Abba. Why did he cry out, Abba? Because his senses were discerned or exercised to discern that the strong meat was the life that's in the Father. That's why he cried out there, right? That's the fullness of the stature of sonship. You see where you come forth from, and you see where you're longing to return. I mean, the scripture even talks about having an opportunity to return to your homeland. You can feel like a draw to a place that you come from. I mean, I left Louisiana for 15 years. Most people would say that's long enough to make a clean break. You don't come back. But here I am. 
there was something in me longing to return to where I came from. E.T. longed to return from where he came from. Jesus knew he come from the bosom of the Father. And so he knew he was longing to return to the bosom of the Father. He was longing for that likeness that he shares with the Father. That's what he was longing for. And so he looks to the Father. And then we see the Father's likeness busted forth and manifested in the body of his resurrection. You see? So that's what you, you want to you touch and handle and see the body of the resurrection. And you want to like, in yourself, you see, and in the earth. That's what you want. That's why you don't like it when you feel hurt. That's why you don't like it if you lose your hair. Now I don't care, because I realized, well, the only reason why I didn't want to lose my hair is because I had this weird kind of thing that I got from the strange woman, that the power to have my desires fulfilled is if I got to have hair, right? Or the power to fulfill my wife's desires is if I have hair. What? I'm a created being. I, listen, newsflash, I can't satisfy my wife's desires because she's yearning for that which has no beginning. I have a beginning. Now, glory to God, I don't have an end now. But I got a beginning, so I can't be the one that provides her with something that doesn't have an end. So I can't satisfy her desires. None of you can satisfy anybody else's desires. None of you can fulfill anyone else, and no created thing can fulfill any of you. Whatever it is you're longing for, let your senses be exercised to see that that's not the meat that endures unto life everlasting. And let your senses be exercised to discern the strong meat. And now start looking to the Father in His likeness, looking to the Father having provided His own body through the Son. Right? Does that make any sense? You guys understand that? That, that will grow you up into the Lord Jesus. Where you're handling, touching, seeing the word of life. And I love how John says, we just read words, but I tell you what, it's a magnificent thing when John says, well, we have fellowship with the son, meaning we touched and we handled and we saw the body of his life. But we weren't just handling him. As we were handling him, it was having this powerful dynamic where we were like intimate with the father's life. Because it was the Father's life that was manifested in the body of the Son. So we're not just touching and handling the Son. Through touching and handling the Son, we're actually touching and handling the Father. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. You see what he's tracking with? It's a powerful thing. If you read in the book of Proverbs, if you notice everything about the strange woman, I think it's chapter 7. If you go and read everything about her, notice everything it says about her speaks to the senses. It speaks to our senses because our senses are groaning. And so you can read things where it says she has peace offerings. It says her bed is decked with coverings of tapestry. You ever seen a bed that's decked? Listen, I couldn't care less about beds. Like, I'm a man. I've slept on marble floor before with like mosquitoes. Bedridden. When Becky and I got married, my, my grandfather rented us a room at the Josephine guest house and we got the biggest room. We went up into that room and they had a bed that was from like 1600 and it was decked with tapestries. It was engraven with ivory. Detailed artwork. I couldn't care. I'm a man. I don't care about the bed. 
I don't care if it looks pretty. I promise you I walked in there and I was like, dang, look at this bed. You see, it's, it, it spoke to my senses. Do you see? My senses were even activated by what I saw there and I couldn't even care. So the, the strange woman is trying to connect to our senses because the world knows our senses are groaning for something. And so the, the bed is decked with tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. She perfumes her bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Do you see how all those things speak to the senses? We need to have our senses exercised to understand those are all created things. That while, while we might enjoy some of those things sometimes, we might enjoy a nice bed. We might enjoy the smell of cinnamon. Those are created things and can never satisfy what we're yearning for. Right? And so the exercising of the senses is we got senses. We're actually made with senses. And it's our flesh longing to partake of the Father's likeness. And the world comes and presents things to us that actually can actuate our senses. It can e There's even a chemical reaction in the brain, which is where addiction comes from. Dopamine is released when your senses feel like they've experienced something that's pleasurable. That's why the tree of the knowledge of evil, you notice how it says it was pleasant to the senses, to the touch, to the sight, the senses. And so it comes and presents all those things to us. She's appealing to our senses through earthly things, through created things. She knows our senses are groaning to touch and to handle God. She points to the earthly things. She points to things that are created. She points us to the creature. She knows it looks good for food. I just want to tell you, when, when you partake of something that animates your senses, it's not that thing that's doing it for your senses. It's a sign that your senses are longing for God. It's not that your senses are longing for that. Those things are speaking a deceiving word to you because you feel something in your flesh. And it's trying to convince you because you feel something that that must be what you're longing for. That's how people get addicted to things. That's a dopamine release, right? You become addicted to the positive feeling. But what I've learned is every time I feel something positive, even should it be something beautiful between my wife and I, even should it be I ate some nice food or I smelled something that was beautiful, the, I'm able to actually enjoy those things now because I don't see any of those things as being what I'm actually longing for or actually being able to satisfy me. I see them now as a shadow or a sign of my senses longing for the Father's likeness. That keeps things from becoming an addiction, right? And that's where all addiction stems from, people longing to touch and handle and see God. And they find something that stimulates their senses, and their senses have been longing to feel that. And so it's like, yes, this is it. This is it. Finally. What's the U2 song? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in kingdom come when all the colors bleed into one, bleed into one. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? You guys see that? It's a, it's a, that's a growing up into the stature of sonship. Right? Where God exercises your senses. It's a, it's a powerful thing. I've explained the truth many ways. I've even talked about this. I went back and looked a long time ago. I didn't use this exact language because it's become more clear. But it's a powerful thing when you start to, to see this.
and you have your desires interpret it for you. And you, you, you find yourself being led. Because when you desire something, inherently you chase after whatever it is you think can satisfy it. You know what I'm saying? Like when I saw Becky walking down the stairs and time stood still and it was slow motion and the, her hair was flapping in the wind when there was no fan. And all I could hear was, who's that lady? Nobody had to tell me, you should go after her. Something came alive inside of me where I'd rather die than not go after her. Right? So you see what happens when your senses are exercised to discern what the strong meat is. You, you don't have to try to come to the strong meat. You don't have to try to bring yourself to the table. You don't have to try to resist all these things. What starts to begin to happen continuously more and more and more is that nothing can keep you from the strong meat because you've been convinced that's what your desire is. And so you're after it like gangbusters. Right? Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that in the same way that our earthly parents nurtured us and fed us with nutrients so that we could grow. I thank you, Father, that you haven't told us to grow in wisdom and stature, but that you drew near to us to be with us, to reason with us, to walk with us, to cause us to grow up into you, up into your love, to cause us to grow up into your wisdom, the wisdom of the Son, up into sonship, up into your life. Thank you, Father, that uh, discernment is being born in people, that they're beginning to discern what they feel. They're beginning to discern what satisfies and what doesn't satisfy. Thank you, Father, that bondages are being broken off of people, that people are, are no longer seeing an appeal or an allure to the things that they've seen in the past. Thank you, Father, that addictions are falling off of people, that whatever people are starting to see, that what they were getting from these earthly things, these created things, that they see that actually they get all of it in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-mm-mm.